giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And today we're continuing the conversation with Courtney and Ty Caldwell, the co-founders of Shearshare. Thanks for joining us again. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having us. How have you guys been? Doing well. I've been hanging in there. (laughs) Good, good. I know. I think we're all just hanging in there. But it's it's so good to hear your voices again. Yeah, likewise. (laughs) I, you know, now that we've got our audio all set up and can actually hear each other, <laughs> as we just spent the last, what, you know, five to seven minutes refreshing things, changing headphones, which is uh, kind of fits in with what mm-hmm. we're talking about today, which is communication and yes. also ha- how that is changing in our new fully digital worlds. You got to love technology. You have to love it. <laughs> Before, you know, COVID-19 happened, were you all working from an office? No, our our team's been remote since day one. Um, Now, I will say that we've always had a WeWork Global Access Pass um, through one of our investors, uh, Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital. And that's been super helpful because if one of our team members feels that, you know, they just need to go into an office environment or they want just a change of scenery, they can pop in for a day and sit sit there at, at a desk at WeWork um, and then, you know, go home at the end of the, the day. So that's been helpful. But no, we've always been remote since day one. So has there been a lot of changes for you? What's been different? Well, except for our uh, engineering team, their office in India, but, you know, other than anything changing, I think the engineering team, once they worked remote, our engineering lead uh, liked everyone to be in the office. And so he was a little bit you know, apprehensive about the amount of efficiency that he would get from his team. But he has really enjoyed the efficiency yeah. uh, that he's gotten from the team. But that's pretty much really the only thing that's changed from us working remotely since the pandemic. Yeah. And then you, the two of you work together from home? Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah, we, not, we look at each other every day. You're not working remotely from each other. <laughs> no, we're not. No. I, I wake up and I have breakfast with the same person that I have my daily meetings with. You know, instead of, you know, Zoom calls, I see him face to face. We take a break and go on our daily walks together. So so none of that for us has changed since um, COVID-19 hit. But I think for our team members, or it was really important for us to make sure that just Mentally and emotionally, people were in a really good and safe space to where if they needed to, um, you know, take a break from watching media or listening to the news and, you know, just take a day off or have some time to indulge in a hobby, you know, we've been very sensitive to, to their needs. So that has been a little bit more of a, a difference. It's been just us leaning into, you know, what they need a whole lot more. You know, the, the, the mind is, is powerful and people need yeah. sanity. And yeah. when you're going through something like this, it can kind of bring a lot of phobias, just other than claustrophobias. And so some people are wired different than other people and, and they use their, their minds differently and their minds play with all other parts of their other uh, forms of the creativity. So we want to make sure that they have freedoms to be able to do things mm-hmm. that they need to release any type of pressures when they're sitting at home. And some people are in, you know, big cities. We know we have our engineers that are in India and, and some of those places have really hot zones, so they can't go outside. And then we have 
you know, design a designer in New York. And so it gets to a point to where people need that freedom. We have some people that are in Iowa where it's not as bad, but mm-hmm. they can go outside, they can get some sun, they can walk their dog, they right. can work out outside. But, you know, you have to kind of meet people where they're at. And so give them that sanity, give them that peace and give them that freedom. I think that when you give people that, there's an efficiency that you get from them that you probably wouldn't get from them even if they were in the office. So true. One of the things that we often can hear from remote teams is that when when some of the team is together and some is remote, it can be challenges. Now, the two of you always together, mm-hmm. have there ever been times where you needed to specifically change how you were communicating or remind yourself, oh, we got to bring other people into this conversation? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think that's the case. I oh, think yeah. when you're looking at something constantly all the time, we're working on new designs, we're thinking about how we're building this company, you know, six months down the line, a year down the line, you definitely need other people and you need the thought process. And we have people who range in ages uh, other than us. We're, you know, young, but we're not as young as some of our team members who are in their 20s. You know, we're seasoned a little bit as business people and we're in our 40s. But I think that at the end of the day, you need to kind of have a balance. And I think that that's what we do have. And we try to make sure that we use that creative mind to just say, okay, well, let's bring everybody in. So we have our daily standups. We also have our all hands meeting. And then we separate each team. So we talk to the sales team. We talk to the design team. We get the engineers together and we get specific people based on what we're looking for. And sometimes Courtney and I, we have responsibilities to different members of the team with me being a visionary and she being in, you know, a little bit more of the marketing and insights of tech and innovation, you know, so we have to make sure that once we break and go talk to our respective teams, we come back together. So it gets to a point where we have to make sure that we're always in sync. Mm -hmm. It it sometimes can get a little bit out of sync, especially (laughs) if we're uh, in meetings or have calls, especially like now we're on this podcast together, but there are times where we're not talking together. So we have to make sure we're always giving each other the rundown of whatever we had in the meeting before and then, you know, kind of keeping each other on top of the everyday, you know, strategies of what we're building. Yeah, I, I think one of the best tools that you know I've come to fall in love with since we started Share Share um, is Slack. I love it because you can, you know, just like you said, you know, whenever you guys are sitting together, do you ever feel the need to bring in an, an additional team member? And we can literally just pull up Slack and, and call someone, right? Um, and so we can have that voice to voice. We can shoot a quick message, and our team is extremely flexible. You know, we treat each other as we treat our user community, so we get back to each other very quickly. And so that's been a tool that has been really helpful, you know, as we continue to build this company. And and we do our daily standups on Zoom. So that's easy for the team to continually connect. And like Courtney was saying, we talk on Slack and we communicate, but we also can call each other when we just really need to just talk right away instead of just continually typing in any messages. I wonder if we maybe set a record for like number of Slack channels because we have like so many. Oh, oh my God. I I can't even. The race is on. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to put our, I'm going to throw our name in the hat there because we we have lots of channels. Like we are constantly, constantly slacking with, with team members throughout the day and vice versa. It's a good old time. Do you have any sort of internal guidance around how you like the team to use Slack Uh, Whether that's, you know, this kind of communication goes in this channel or, 
DMs versus public versus private versus a mm-hmm. phone call. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, sure. we totally do. And, and Courtney probably will add to this. We definitely have those type of you no know, conversations where they're private, where there may be, we need to talk to our lead engineer. So we have a private uh, line with them. Then we may have to talk to just the QA engineer along with the engineer. So we have a private line for that. And then Courtney and I'll be on our own private line with the, the backend engineer for iOS and Android. So we have different lines. And then it's Courtney and I have our own line. Even though we're in the house together, there are some times where we're not together. We have our own chat line. So we want to make sure that we're in constant communication and we can go strictly to that source and that person we mm-hmm. need to. Yeah, I mean, out of the plethora of channels that we have, you know, we, we try to make sure that we keep conversations categorized appropriately. So we may have like a product channel, but then we also have like a production support channel and we have a design channel, a, a user interview channel, and the marketing channel is different from the service and support channel. And so, yeah, we, we try to make sure that when the team is trying to figure out a challenge or they're servicing a client, that all of that information kind of resides in those channels. It also helps when we onboard a new team member because they have all of that history to go back and see, oh, okay, so this is the question we get asked like 80% of the time. And this is how we typically respond to that inquiry. And so it almost acts as like this knowledge base as well. Do you have uh, any other types of documentation or knowledge bases you use I think the onboarding example is perfect where you're like, Mm -hmm. here is everything you need to know about this topic. Yeah. One of our fellow founders from Revolution, the Rise of the Rest team with um, Steve Case, founder of AOL, one of the founders there had introduced us to a system called Notion. Dot so, so it's not Notion.com. And so Notion is kind of serves as an Asana or Monday.com plus a little bit of a Slack Plus, uh, they don't have Jira integrated yet, but it's coming, plus a knowledge base. So it kind of just is like mm-hmm. this hodgepodge of lots of different things. And so our team can go in there and see what assignments that they're trying to accomplish for the day and when those things are due. They can see the product roadmap. So like maybe service and support is curious to see what's coming next um, and didn't hear what the team was working on in the daily standup that particular morning. So they can go there and see what the the tech team's working on. You can see the different designs that we're testing out. And so they always have feedback based on them sitting at the very front lines of Shearshare and servicing our our user community. Um, So they'll constantly be giving feedback. Uh, But that's been a a helpful tool as well, something that neither Ty nor myself had heard of before we started Shearshare. Are there things that you've done in particular or brought to Shearshare based on your beliefs about what good communication looks like or like? past experiences that the two of you have had? You know, we know that companies grow and they start off kind of like a family, but we know that we want to make sure that we create a community uh, where people are able to freely communicate. But at the same time, we want to hire people that want to really be a part of what we're building. We know that people have their minds to work so differently about the certain jobs or certain positions that they want. So we want to make sure that people are really in sync and that that they can build within the community and that they're working with people that they truly feel interested and excited to work with, but also excited about what we're building. So the communication is, you know, give them the freedom to, to speak, give them the freedom, just sometimes not talk, allow them to talk, get answers. I think that not just getting data, building the, the tech company that we're building, but I think that you're always getting great data, talking to people that you're hiring, talking to people on your team, because they're going to continue to spread that good vibes across the teams mm-hmm. and across the company 
that's going to allow people to want to work. So you're going to always be working with people. And, and a lot of the people that start off end up being managers or end up being team leads. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we have people that really have that level of respect and understand that they can grow in any position wherever they're at as, as share share continues to grow. Yeah. And, and we try as best as possible to determine like their strengths as soon as possible. Like you may not get all of that good information during uh, the interviewing process, but you know, we try to do like a personality test. When we do get the team together in person, you kind of see different skill sets at play. And so once we do try to determine, and it's always like in wet cement, right? But determine what those strengths are. We try to lean really, really hard on each person's strength and then staff the weaknesses. So like if we know that, you know, this person is awesome at design, we're not going to make that person also wear the hat of biz dev, right? Like that doesn't make sense. Like we want you to completely run in your lane as Ty and I have started the company and we learned that very quickly on and have had, you know, years of experience managing various teams ourselves. But it's so important for us to let people run in their own lanes, really operate in their strengths and not worry about, oh, I don't really understand finance or I don't really understand, you know, accounting. Like, no, I just need you to focus on service and support, like do what you do well and we'll be good. When I was at Oracle, I remember we used to do a lot of like cross-functional stuff, right? So you may be working with team members on a project that it may only happen once a year and you may not see that person every day in the hallway. You may not be sitting next to that person in a cubicle or an office, but it just helped to get different minds in the rooms. And I think that we used some of that when we started building our team at Shearshare was to say, okay, guys, so these are the three big things that we're buckling down and betting big on this calendar year. So we're going to split up in teams of two and three. And for the next week's weeks, this is going to be like a little mini project that everyone's going to be working on. At the end, we're going to come back and you're going to give your best recommendations, what you see as the biggest challenges, where you see we could win super big and how we can move forward with next steps. And that's been really good because all of a sudden it gets folks who are just in engineering kind of out of that engineering role and they're talking directly with service and support or you get the marketing person talking directly with finance. And so that's been really helpful because all of our minds are different and the more you know intelligence that we can get into the room and looking at all the data that we have to work with, the better. That's been really, really good for us. Yes, it has. That's really interesting to know that Oracle mm-hmm. does that. Mm-hmm. When you are interviewing folks, what are some ways that you try to sort of vet for this person's going to be a good collaborator? You know, we haven't really <laughs> got perfect at that. I know that some of the some of our best employees were probably uh, we were a little bit apprehensive at first because you know of their, <laughs> of their you know past skill sets. You know, but I say this: when people are excited about what you're building, they're willing to work hard at it because they have certain skill sets that we're looking yeah, for, yeah. but they just don't have experience maybe in beauty, mm-hmm. or they may not have experience just in talking to doing an interview mm-hmm. or talking to people. You know, they just been type people just work behind a computer screen and and do their work. So it's things that we want to see if they have that certain level of oomph that you're looking for to say, okay, they are teachable, they're trainable. And can you deal with an industry that is not just corporate minded, but just regular people who are living with an artistic skill set and who you can just understand that we're just different. And so working in at ShareShare, we kind of give them a little bit of both. And so they get a chance to talk to Courtney when it comes to certain corporate outlooks. And then they get a chance to talk to me and they say, okay, well, how do the, the beauty industry, how do they cooperate and communicate 
talking to people over the phone and what's best for them, what works best for them. That gives them the opportunity to say, okay, am I fit for this? And most people always jump and say, you know what? I really like what you guys are doing. I want to try it. Yeah. We, we try not to spend, I know, and this may sound the complete opposite of what everyone else is, but we try not to spend a whole bunch of time interviewing people, right? Like we take on the fact that, and usually they, they have been recommended by someone in our network of folks that we trust. So they kind of have jumped over that first hurdle. But mm-hmm. from there, there's always a functional interview. Then there's a cultural interview. Ty is the last person on the totem pole to to hear because he has a great knack of like being able to discern people, like being able to discern really what they're saying. And, you know, they may answer a question a certain way, but he can kind of read between the lines. And he's, I think, saved us from a lot of what could have been headaches when I may have thought the person like looked perfect on paper and you know, they've been able to accomplish all these things, you know, he'll sit down and talk with them. He's like, nah, not a good fit, not a good fit culturally. And then they have to have, you know, a team interview, which is just trying to figure out, you know, how would you work well and kind of insert yourself accordingly within the Shearshare Share team and how it runs today. Yeah, because we give people the opportunity to communicate. We yeah. don't try to make a square fit in a circle. You yeah. know, we want to make sure the peg fits mm-hmm. and we don't make people feel uncomfortable when people give us questionable thoughts on what they feel like they can bring to share share that right there raises a red flag for us because we're looking for people who really want to come to share share and do the work you know bring ideas figure it out you know that's where we're at we're we're a startup and so you got to bring those skill sets you got to bring eagerness you got to bring excitement and so we want to make sure that we're doing quality interviews and giving people the quality time it takes in the interview to see if they're a good fit for the company. Yeah, I would say no matter what, everyone on our team has the mindset of, I'm going to figure it out. Like mm-hmm. we, we could ask anyone, you know, even though they're running in a particular lane, right? And they are running in probably multiple lanes at different times, depending on the day, but we could hand anyone a task and you know, we never would ever get the response back. Well, I don't know how to do that. Or where do I begin? They're just like, okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to figure it out. Like Ty, babe, what do you always say? You say when we think about hiring people, like I didn't hire them to tell. I didn't, I don't hire people for me to tell them what to do. I hire people for them to tell me what to do. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so far that's worked well for us. It makes my, it makes my job easier because Mm -hmm. I'm not a micromanager. No, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time and the best people are people who can figure things out who don't like to be micromanaged and who don't want to feel like a tyrant is over them telling them what to do all the time and yeah. they can't really uh, fulfill their creative juices and do things that are really good for the company. Even if, if it's something that they come up with that may be the grandest idea since the company's been in existence, that is something that they brought and that idea can take us to the next level. And so utilize people's skill sets and their gifts. And that's what we try to do with people, give them the opportunity to bring that to the table. Yeah. Have you had any instances where there was a breakdown in communication and maybe had to deal with some heads butting? What what do you do in that scenario? I don't think we've had situations like that. I think we've had people apprehensive to really indulge in a a level of their gifts because they were afraid. Mm -hmm. We haven't had to really bump heads, you know, just talking to people and communicating with them. Um, I think the worst that we may have seen may have been like, you know how you can text someone or you can slack someone a message and the person on the other end can read it a certain way. And then you go, wait a minute, like, how do I, 
is that an exclamation mark? Was that a period? Was that like a pause? And so, <laughs> and so just jumping on, you know, on the phone really quickly, just to kind of air the grievances really does help. But yeah, I think that's where the fact that Ty and I are married kind of comes in because, you know, we've had to learn for a couple of decades now, you know, how to communicate efficiently, you know, how to disagree and agree and how to still hold each other accountable, but while encouraging one another to be your absolute best self. And so we just bring that over to Sheer Share. So if ever there was a Slack message that landed strangely to us, we would literally just hop on the phone real quick and sort it out. As long as it's not a respect issue, you know, I don't have a problem with people being different or seeing things different. I just think that, you know, when you're creative, you see things from a different view, a different lens than someone else who's a design or who's an engineer, you know, if you're bringing something to the table, you want to hear it. That's why we have our daily talks. That's why we have our all hands-on meetings. We want people to come in and say, what do you see? How can we fix anything that we see coming down the pipeline or things that you're dealing with, any data that's showing you that people are, are needing something that we are not building? We have to understand that from a perspective because we're not on that phone call. We're not in that room. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing things that they're seeing. So we have to welcome that. Yeah. And, and you know, I have to say this, Ty, honestly, babe, like one thing that you may even take for granted that the entire team loves is on those daily standups at the very at the, at the very end of the daily standup, guys, Ty will do a motivational quote or he'll say something uplifting always. Like there's never a daily standup that ends with you know the last person giving their update or what their big rock is for the day. And we constantly get responses from team members saying, oh my gosh, that was so good. That was just what I needed to hear. Or, oh wow, that was so you know inspiring. Thank you so much for constantly motivating and encouraging us. And that's just a little bitty small thing that I think goes a long way. Yeah. And I get that from playing sports and being the seventh of eight kids. You know, you always want to, you always want to know that you're doing your part, you know, and even if it's something that's just small as a, as a motivation, sometimes it's going to hit people really in their in the heartstrings of what they're going through. And I feel like if you can motivate people, if you can share good vibes and, and insights to people's lives, because you don't see what they go through daily, whether it, be, whether it be with their spouse, whether it be with their kids, whether it be with their family and friends, whether it be personal, it's always good to give people a little bit of, of hope and a little bit of motivation to carry them through. That's so good. So true. And and I'll say this too, that I don't want people to think that we are just remote and we never see our team members except like via Zoom or, you know, a Slack call or a Google Hangouts call. We actually have four U.S. retreats. So like for our U.S. team, we fly everybody into Dallas. The first time that a team member joins ShearShare, we take them to the original ShearShare suite, the ShearShare salon, the ShearShare location, so they can literally be in the room so they can get a sense for, you know, what we're doing every day and how important it is. And during those times, you know, we do so many things. You know, we may open the meeting in the morning with meditation. There's a lot of team building. There are a lot of um, huge huge sticky notes that go on the walls and we're thinking about, you know, how can we create a 10 star experience that could even exist and really just being crazy with, you know, innovation, just thinking completely outside the box with no bad idea, throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks and really listening to what we're hearing from our user community of salon and barbershop owners and stylists. And so no holds barred. And we do that few times out of the year. Um, and that's been super helpful. Also, we do the same thing with our engineering team. We'll do a twice annual retreat with them. And so it is important to be you know face to face because communication can kind of 
get lost um, over a certain period of time or you can get desensitized. And so it's important for us, at least some time myself, to sit face to face with our team members and feel their energy. Yeah, just be Just have human moments. Exactly. I mean, literally, we got to India one time and we were like, hey, we need to not even talk about the next sprint or the next product roadmap. Like Ty said, let's go bowling. And so like we went bowling, <laughs> we had dinner and it was just one of those things that, you know, even if there was, you know, intensity or not a lot of, you know, pressure, you know, we're all under pressure to make sure that we're accomplishing our goals every day, every quarter, every half a year, every year. But it was just so good to just kind of remove any kind of barriers and remind them that, hey, we're people just like you. We're super excited that you guys have chosen to go on this journey with us called Share Share. And, you know, we, we're treating you like we would treat anyone that we respect and appreciate. And then being there, just kind of piggyback off what Courtney's saying, even with our India retreats, you know, it gives us the opportunity opportunity to go in to go inside their lives and their communities yeah, inside their world definitely. and just allow them to introduce us to things that we would never see yeah you know because we're in uh, North America and I think that is really what makes them excited to have us there to get that human touch to, to know that when we're sitting down at dinner we can sit across from one another I can sit beside I try to make sure I'm talking to a different team member maybe a little bit longer Sometimes within the days, mm-hmm. just kind of get to know them, mm-hmm. whether we're eating yeah. lunch, whether we're eating breakfast, whether we're eating dinner. I want to yeah. I want to get to know each individual. I want to laugh with them. I want to see what makes them, what drives them mm-hmm. on the human side. And I think that that's what makes people who don't really understand uh, the level of leadership where we're at, the CEO and the co-founders, that kind of gives them that closeness and that reach out and touch you type of moment where they can say, okay, I like these guys. Yeah. And then we ride those coattails for the next, you know, three months or two months or six months until it's time to come back face to face again. Are you missing that now? Did you have one of those events planned and it's not going to happen now or? Yeah, we planned to go. We had planned to go to India around beginning of March. We had to cancel <laughs> that. And uh, we yeah. had a retreat that we were doing right after we got back two weeks later for the U.S. retreat. Mm-hmm. And so we had to cancel that. And then we had a lot of other things that we were doing as far as the team, as team building. So, yeah, you miss it. You miss it, but you you understand what we're dealing with. And it kind of gives right. you the opportunity to say, okay, you know, we miss you guys. And once we do get a chance to see one another and hug and all that stuff, it, it's, it's going to be even more grander when we, when the well, opportunity can comes. we hug or can we just fist bump? We're going to make it happen. Elbow. <laughs> <laughs> Event, I hope eventually we'll be able to hug again. I, I sure hope so too. <laughs> Is there anything in the meantime that you're doing to try to counteract the fact that you're missing those in-person events now? I think we overcompensate with the Zooms. So just making sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, we can see each other, you know, because talking every day and seeing someone's face is different from if you're, you know, slacking them a message, right? And so it's just very helpful to see each other. Um, We also have a new Slack channel. Again, I I swear we have the most Slack channels. Well, I looked it up. We have 536 Slack channels. Okay. No, Uh. (laughs) not quite. But we're a consulting company, so we have like a Slack channel for every client that we've worked with okay, over the last I'll give you few that. years. So okay, okay, you guys that, have, have that going. cheating a little <laughs> bit, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 we're up there. The question is, how many custom emojis do you have? Oh, yeah, not enough. You can never have enough custom emojis. Like, sheer, sheer blue can't be, you know, seen enough on our Slack channel. But we did add, like, a little hobbies um, channel. And so it's so interesting because now we found that, like, all of our engineers love to also cook. 
And so I'm like, huh, should that be like a question on the interviews now? Because like these people are like part-time sous chefs, you know, you would never know it, but they also have the mind for engineers. But so, you know, just doing some kind of random, you know, Slack channel to send a a cute little meme or something that makes people laugh. That's how we've been kind of overcompensating for the lack of physical connection. So your product is a marketplace where you've got providers and users I imagine you have a whole other world where you're trying to manage the communication between the users of your product. (laughs) Yes, this is very true. And so actually, and it's funny you bring that up, Lindsay. Uh, So before 2020, the way that a stylist would connect with a host was manual, right? So let's say that I saw your listing on the ShareShare platform and I was like, oh, this is awesome, Lindsay. I see you're right down the street from me or right down the street from my client. I know your hours are nine to five, but can I come in at 8.30 and leave a little bit later? And so in order for that conversation to happen, it would be a very manual process on our teams and on our operation teams and to contact the host and ask the question that the stylist had and then come back to the the stylist and ask that same question and give the answer. And so we said, you know what, maybe let's just let them talk to each other. And so that's actually going live this week where um, Shusha will have in-app messaging so that you can talk to the host um, and or stylist before the booking, during the booking, and even after, because maybe you left your phone charger, you know, in the salon suite or at the barber station and you need to come back and pick it up. But yeah, we, we do know that communication just in general in our industry is, is very important. And so we're making sure that, you know, that's one of the things that we're betting big on, you know, this year, especially is to make sure that those doors of communication um, are open so that they can get an answer to their inquiries a lot faster. Are you thinking at all about how you can facilitate those interactions being positive? Yeah, so we'll try to, I wouldn't say like, you know, track the conversations, but if there are like certain keywords that bubble up to the top that we're constantly seeing, like in a report, you know, we may have to, you know, take a look at, you know, those types of interactions. I, I do have to say, though, that our community is very respectful of one another, right? They're all business people. So I being a stylist coming to your salon, Lindsay, we're both solopreneurs, And so I'm already making sure that I respect my business and I want to in turn respect your business so that one, you'll have me back, you know, when you see my second booking come through and that two, you're going to rate me high so that the next Shear Share host can see that I have a five Shears rating. So there's already kind of that built in accountability to make sure that everyone is, you know, operating at their best self, their highest self, et cetera. Um, so that business can continue. And I love the fact that, you know, this is our way of not only keeping small businesses open, but keeping that currency flowing through the beauty industry. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally giving money as an independent stylist to a fellow salon owner and vice versa. And that money is staying in the the community that we feel is the best community in the world. Yeah. I think you're probably a ways off from this, but my mind goes to Airbnb, which is now massive. Mm -hmm. And you hear about, you know, some of the the scarier stories uh, about kind of friction between people staying at a place and people hosting as you continue to scale and maybe don't have necessarily as personal connections with folks using the product. Yeah, there are so many things that our hosts are already doing 
that we probably didn't consider when we first started um, the company. But you know, for one, during that very first encounter, so let's say that maybe you see my listing on the ShareShare platform and you book me, you're going to make sure that you're there to welcome me, right? And we also give them lots of great notes and best practices for how to be, you know, a stellar share share host. And so you're going to welcome me in that day. You're going to give me a mini tour. You're going to have my station speak and span and super clean. And now, you know, post coronavirus, you're going to make sure that there are additional gloves and sanitation and PPE in case I didn't have any, but in many cases, the independent stylist already is carrying that with him or her. And then you're going to check in with me throughout the day. You're going to make sure that I'm comfortable, that my clients are comfortable, you're helping me to talk to my clients when you know someone is in the waiting area right, right now will be in the car uh, because everything's going to one-on-one mm-hmm. appointment time now but there are things that our, our hosts were already doing that we just asked our top tier hosts hey what are those consistencies that are really helping you to get those repeatable bookings and so taking from there we started sharing those best practices with our our hosts who are just coming on board and who are raring to go and who are anxious about, you know, having someone come into their space anxious in a good way. They love that kind of experience. So I do say that you know, th- there could be something that happens. I-, I wouldn't say knock on wood, but the hosts are typically there working right alongside six feet, of course, right alongside um, the, the stylist who's visiting. So they're able to, again, it's establish that relationship, establish that connection continually throughout the day, and then, you know, help them clean up and exit when they are ready to go home. And we, we pretty much, you know, to add to that, according to correct, we pretty much try to understand the difference between Airbnb and what we do. We understand that the B2C aspect of it and the B2C aspect would be the consumer going to the host home. And essentially the host is just a regular person Mm -hmm. and they're renting their home out or their room out to a consumer. And so there's a behavior there that Airbnb figured out and they wanted to make sure that they created something to continue that momentum as opposed to what what ShareShare is doing. We're business to business. So we want to make sure that we're creating behavior for the host who's a business and then the licensed professional who's a business because it's something that's never been done. Once we collect that data, once we understand that, now we can create that momentum to kind of see how we can make these two efficiently work together because it comes to down to this. Wall Street, Main Street is just people. It's just people with certain behaviors and we want to make sure that we're collecting the data, understanding the consumer, understanding the business and continuously attacking that by making sure it's a smooth process as possible. Yeah. And I would say too, that we, we can't underscore enough how important it is to have bi-directional ratings, right? So that's why we do have a five shares rating on the app where the host gets to rate the stylist and the stylist gets to rate the sheer share host based on that um, one particular booking. And so that also keeps people honest. You know, no one wants to get a one sheer, like that will look super bad. That means that the next time that they go out and I now ask Tom, you know, for, for a Friday booking, he's going to see that this other host gave me a horrible rating and he's going to reject and say no. And so again, it kind of built in that, that built in accountability. Yeah. We want them to trust share, share and the brand and, and yeah. the brand. And we want both sides, the host and the user to trust share, share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing that through that expectation setting with the best practices, Absolutely. sharing a lot of those ways that they can have a positive interaction. You got yes. it. 
You mentioned before you have outside investors. That's another level of communication that a lot of us <laughs> need to work with as entrepreneurs, as business right. people. So who are your outside stakeholders that you need to communicate with as founders and, and how do you manage that? Yeah, so we, we look at it as in four different buckets, right? So we have our sheer share stylist, who that's the independent cosmetologist or the independent barber. That's the nail technician, the makeup artist, the esthetician, massage therapist, microblader, braider, hairdresser. That's right, hair, skin, and nails. Then you have the sheer share host. So these are the folks who own the real estate, right? So they're the ones with the excess capacity or the empty space. Then we have PR, right? So we have opportunities to showcase what Sheer Share is bringing to the table for not just small businesses and beauty and barbering, but small businesses in general, because we're the second largest industry for freelancers. And then, of course, we have our investors, you know, and that that's really important. Like we took a hard stance when choosing our investment partners because we wanted those people who trusted myself and trusted Ty to do what's best for the business, do what's best for um, our employees and to do what's best for our shareholders as well. And so all those different buckets get different communications at different points in time, but it is very important to be consistent in those communications. Like some of our investors will jump on a phone and have like a, an innovation session where we're just talking through different ideas, like what challenges we may have faced the previous month or the previous 90 days, right? And so hey, what ideas based on, because a lot of these investors have marketplace experience, so we're not the first marketplace startup. And in many cases, it's like same song, different verse. And so if you say we're having an issue with supply side or we're having an issue with the demand side, most likely they've seen that challenge before and they can weigh in on some additional um, thoughts or considerations. And then, of course, like I said, the other various um, buckets of folks that, you know, we owe communications to and feel very strongly about making sure we're consistent at communicating with. It just varies based on, you know, current events. It varies based on what's going on in their world. It varies based on what's coming down the pipe for Sheer Share. When COVID-19 hit, of course, communication via email and text was it, it was heightened, like immediately overnight, you know, our email open rate and our email click through rate went up. 75%. I mean, that, that was huge. Like people were listening to us before, but because we said, we're going to make sure that we're educating our industry professionals, whether you sit on the supply side or the demand side to help get through this horrible pandemic and not just, you know, give a soft sell about sheer share. Like we're not going to send you a barrage of emails right now saying, Hey, when you come back online, book sheer share, that would be so insensitive. Instead, we said, what's top of mind right now? And Ty said, well, right now everybody's thinking about, holy crap, how am I going to feed my family? What is this whole PPP thing? Like what's the SBA? I've never Never even thought about going to the SBA. Can I qualify for an EIDL loan? And so those are the types of content pieces that we started to put out. And it, it's been amazing to see the types of response. Like, I guess I shouldn't have been so surprised. And my husband saying, no, this is what we need to focus on. It's not about empty space right now. It's not about marketing, about you know the app. It's about meeting people, as he said before, exactly where they are and where they were and where many of us still are is, holy crap, how am I going to get money coming into my bank account so I can at least feed my family and you know, pay my bills? So we wanted to check in with you on your goals as we're moving along. And mm -hmm. the last time we talked to you, one of the big goals you had was to launch the new content feature. 
Yes. And How did it that has go? been launched. It's been launched. And now that website is our number two most visited page of all time. <laughs> and, it, and it's crazy to me because I'm like, why did we put this kind of stuff up before? I guess we really didn't need to. But <laughs> but education, of course, as you can imagine, is, is super important in our industry, period. But even more so now that people have, you know, more time on their hands, you know, they're di- digesting content, especially video pieces, infographics, you know, bite-sized chunks of data, more so than they were, you know, pre-COVID-19. Uh, we're just making sure that we're giving them exactly what they need, thinking about the future of how they're going to come back online or if even if they're not back online and their states have yet to reopen, trying to put ourselves in their shoes to say, okay, what are they thinking about now? What's important now as, in terms of education? And again, thankfully, you know, we're a little bit longer in the tooth. As salon owners, we've survived like Y2K and Ebola and multiple recessions and just like the market going down and, and different seasonality that can come with any type of business. And so to us, yeah, COVID-19 sucks. I mean, I'm not going to say that it doesn't. Um, it definitely does. But at the same time, we know that our industry is going to bounce back and be even stronger. Like I promise you, there's not going to be a red carpet that doesn't include a makeup artist and a hairstylist. I promise you there won't <laughs> be a movie that will not have you know a director on set focused on the cosmetology aspect of it. Like even, I think I heard Wendy Williams make a comment a couple of weeks ago about, she said, I, if I see another newscaster without some kind of self makeup on, she's like, I'm going to scream. And so, so just <laughs> having the importance, you know, just having the importance of our industry kind of have the spotlight shown on it um, in the, the cutest, most innocent of ways. It just, again, reminds us that, yeah, we've seen hard times before and yeah, it's so uncomfortable for a lot of us, but we're going to be stronger when we come out of it. And I know that sounds very chintzy, like everybody's saying, oh, we're stronger together. We're in this together. We may not really be in this thing together. But what I do know is that our industry is going to bounce back even, even harder. And people, as you can see, like with the state of Georgia being the first one to come back online for salons and barbershops, people were racing to get their grays covered and their hair cut and no more of the quarantine hairstyles, you know, anymore they exist. And so we're already feeling that pent up demand for what our industry pros provide. Absolutely. It's amazing to know the value of something when you don't have it, how essential something is, (laughs) what they call non-essential. And we knew that, I knew that the industry was essential. I just think that, you know, the laws and regulations for our industry, we've always been dedicated to learning several hours on sanitation and on uh, the precautions of all the things that has to do with sanitary environments Mm -hmm. and utilizing certain products. And so that we already knew. I think that at the same time, how could you allow someone who has a driver's license to drive from a small town to go drive in New York? Those two type of licenses, they don't even, <laughs> they're not even equal, you know what I'm saying? To come True. from a town, 10,000 people, then to go to a town where it's several millions of people. But licensed people in the beauty industry are licensed based on the things that they teach from the, the educational part of it, all the way to the sanitation, all the way to the professional part. So it resonates from state to state to city to city. And I think that when people realize how important we were, our value went up exponentially. Mm-hmm. Definitely. How have your product metrics done over the, the last month as far as you know new signups and profiles activated? Yeah. So numbers of hosts continue to increase, right? And that just makes sense because people are sitting at home thinking about, okay, I know that my landlord has hopefully uh, deferred my, you know, lease payment since, you know, I'm not able to come in and work 
So how am I going to help cover some of these overhead costs? Oh, you know, I had thought about uh, becoming an authorized share share host back in January, never filled out, you know, 100% of the application. So now I'm going to do that. So we're seeing more hosts start to be become onboarded as authorized share share hosts, which is great. And if any any prospective host is listening right now, I promise you our team is doing everything we can to get through the, all those applications as smoothly and as quickly as possible. Just bear with us. Uh, but oh, so, so you've got a backlog now. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a backlog. And, and so it's, it's a good problem to have, right? Because, you know, I remember the days when Ty and I would be sitting in front of our computer, the early, early days of Share Share, and I was like, I just want to get one email today. Like, I would, I would love to just receive one email. And now it's the complete opposite of that. So, so yeah, we're, we're doing well in those regards. But also, I don't know what happened, like, at the middle to late part of April, like April 20th-ish time frame. Something happened, and there's just been, like, a, a huge spike. I don't know if people just woke up, or they were like, oh, you know, my state's about to reopen in a couple of weeks. Let me try to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm going to work. Or, oh, my, all my clients are hitting me up because they're here on the news that, you know, salons and barbershops are about to be reopened. But definitely somewhere around that time frame, the number started to shift back in the going to the right and up position. And so that's been really good to see. We were even trending one week on the Google Play Store. That had never happened before, but we were wow. like number seven, uh, yeah, for all beauty apps. And so that was kind of cool. That being said, not to get negative, but you make money when people (laughs) have matches and actually make the transaction. So I assume that on that side of things, it's negatively impacted your business. Well, it was negatively impacted because all businesses were closed. Yeah, nobody just wasn't the beauty industry. So yes, it was it was zero once uh, once they realized that the certain business were non-essential. First, they said let's just shut everybody down, everybody go home. You know, other than the hospitals and things that were helping people actually get back to health. Other than that, business was closed. So mm-hmm. we went through that phase. And then we went the phase of governors uh, opening up their estates in phases. Mm-hmm. And so that took its course. But for a while, nothing was open. We expected it to just be zero other than getting hosts yeah. who were interested, other than putting out content, getting people to really look into the content that we were putting out. And then people interested in just we see all the data from people looking at what things could be like once things open up and share share was at the top of that list. Yeah. And and I remember explicitly, like a lot of the conversations we had uh, when we first started talking about share share to like different angel investors or just people who, you know, had spun up a marketplace and had done very well spinning up a marketplace startup before. And a hundred percent of the people said, Hey, what you guys should really do is kind of double down on one city win that one city and then kind of copy and paste that model to other cities. And I got to tell you guys, I'm so happy that we didn't listen to necessarily that exact (laughs) advice and instead listen to what the market was telling us and what our stylists were telling us that they wanted and demanded of us. Because if we had said, okay, we're only going to focus on New York or Los Angeles now, we would still be out of business because those states haven't opened up yet. But because we are in 600 cities, those are little fires that are continuing to activate, reactivate themselves again because there's demand there and people can actually go out and work. And all these displaced stylists who had to move out of their salon suites or their barber shops in the middle of the night because they weren't going to be able to pay their rent for six weeks or a couple of months or whatever, they can now pick up right where they left off and start rebuilding again one day at a time with ShareShare. So what we thought about when ShareShare, when we went to market and we went with LA, we went with New York, 
essentially we took those cities because we knew they were heavily saturated. The beauty industry is big and rightfully so in other cities as well. But we just use these as an example and reality of the example, too. But at the same time, these were the cities that were closed down first. And essentially, <laughs> these were the cities that are going to open up last. Right. Right. <laughs> Do you have a sense, and maybe we're still sort of in the thick of it now, so you might not, but like how 2020 is going to look relative to how you thought it was going to? Is it going to be stronger because you think it's going to come back so strongly or is it going to be worse or do you not know because we're right in the thick of it right now? I would say that it's fair to say we don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. to be on the positive side, I think that the momentum is coming. Yeah, uh, We see that there's a shift not just from the aspect of businesses open, but from the aspect of the value of the industry. And so we see that momentum shifting and we know that it's probably not looked good for the first two and a half quarters of the year, mm-hmm. but the last quarter and a half is going to look really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, the early indicators are all very positive. And, and I remember back when the recession hit, you remember, babe, in yeah. 2007, 2008, you know, there was a huge shift. It almost became like a, a tipping point, if you will, for the industry where people, I guess, because of that, they said, you know what, instead of me being a full-time employee, I'm going to instead choose to become an independent contractor and figure out this whole little small business stuff on my own. And I feel that COVID-19 has become another tipping point for us where we're going to see that people are saying, you know what, I have to be my best advocate. I can't expect that a company is going to keep me on and not furlough me. And oh my gosh, I don't have you know control over my destiny. People don't want that. And especially this rising generation, they don't want to feel like they don't have control over their own destiny. And so I feel with the data that we're seeing, with the momentum that we're seeing, with the bookings that are starting to pick back up in various areas, that this is now a Representative of another tipping point. Well, we're going to keep on checking in with you and we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Courtney Love and it. Ty, thanks so much for stopping by again this month and checking in with us and talking to us all about communication at Share Share. It's been great. Thank you for having us. Thank yeah. you for chasing us down too. Thanks guys. Always fun. <laughs> Always fun. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. And follow us on Instagram at Shearshare. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.